Hello, and welcome to the 5th Annual Bevy Awards, presented by the Bird's Eye View Podcast. With appearances by Utah Street Report, Baltimore Sports Today, Orioles Uncensored, Between Two Birds, Oriole Jesus, The Artificial Turf Wars Podcast, The Seductive Tommy Hunter, The Baseball Widows, The Orioles Fans Probs Twitter Account, the roar from 34. And now, here are your hosts, Jake English and Scott Magnus. Welcome, one and all, to the fifth annual Bevy Awards. I have to be honest, if you had told me after the first Bevies that we would still be doing this in 2017, I would have called you a liar. That show was incredibly long, and, well, it was a classic example of early bird's eye view. And we cannot claim that the following years have been any better. And in that proud tradition of questionable quality, we bring you these 2017 Bevy Awards. We should probably spend a few moments talking about what exactly the Bevies are. I've been trying to figure that out since 2013. For new listeners, the Bevies are a mid-season award show in which we and some of our friends and colleagues in the Birdosphere hand out some faux hardware to Orioles players, coaches, media members, and fans. Except there is no physical awards because we're cheapskates here, and no one is here to accept it. This is like, whose line is it anywhere, where the games are made up and the points don't matter, or a typical Bird's Eye View podcast. In the bevies, we take a loving, and sometimes traumatized, look back at the Orioles' season, and look ahead to what the second half has in store for us. Scott, this year is different than any other show we've done in the past for the bevies. Unlike Bevy's 1 through 4, we're looking back at a pretty terrible first half and looking ahead to a second half that will almost certainly not end in a playoff berth. Well, you certainly know how to draw the audience in, don't you? Are you new here? I've been driving away listeners since we started. Speaking of driving away listeners, I believe the opening usually involves some kind of music, does it not? I am so glad you asked. As the season grows darker... I thought that we should turn our attention away from the team on the field and its performance. That seems like a great idea considering how they've been playing. Yes, exactly. But I'm going to get a little more introspective. I'd like to think about how we as fans have fared in 2017. How we've reacted to the recent struggles of the Baltimore Orioles. And Scott, I am particularly interested in a behavior that I am far more guilty of than you are. Oh, really? I hate to say it. But you can be the more level-headed one of the two of us, at times. I've been known to lash out emotionally when things go poorly, and, well, I think that this song speaks to something that we've all experienced a time or two during these darkening times.
laid upon your wall And the great shamefulness of it all Is how I treat you I mock, insult, and subtweet you This is what happens in the darkest timeline This season has seemed oh so long Maybe I've been taking it too hard I always go too far And I freak when I'm called out Who knows if folks Twitter can go on Maybe we'll be sorry when it's gone I'll take my chances It's not like this team advances Another spectacular new low. Uh, the show really is reaching historic proportions. But um, as we've entered into the 2017 series, and uh, we have seen the Baltimore Orioles uh, not want to deal with uh, individuals that are struggling on a day-in and day-out basis. And of course, I'm speaking about Alberto Jimenez, who obviously should have been designated for assignment many moons ago. In fact, at last year's Beverly's, we gave Abado Jimenez the Lifetime Achievement Award for ugliness in general. Well, Jake, uh, I also retired last year uh, from singing during the Bevies, but in 2017 Oriole style, there is no retirement. There is no designated for assignment. We will continue to roll out bad content on a day-in and day-out basis as per the Orioles criteria. So, Jake, here is my selection for musical talent for this year's bevies. You say you're here for the long term. You say it's time to stay with Johnny Sco. And I thought that you were the future, and I thought you'd be our all star. And now that you might be leaving, now I know Berlin did something wrong because we dished you. 
Yeah, I dissed you. You say you're here for the long term. You just want to smile. You just want to have some fun with the distance that you cover on anyone, anywhere. Don't understand why we want you gone. We're only hearing the negative. No, 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 bad. So I, I turn Masson on. I turn Masson on, and Palmer singing your praise. Cakes is in love. Hunter's joining on. Cake starts drinking, wishing Hunter was gone. And some of us are hoping for some magic here in Birdland. Well, well, it's not that year. I think you're growing, but I'm growing tired. And I thought this would last forever, but now I'm not so sure you try to tell me not to worry. But that won't help us long term. You said, No, don't let the keep lingering around and... And I thought that our time was done. I thought you could leave and be better. Oh, but now I know that's wrong because I'll miss you. Yeah, I'll miss you. You said... Uh, lost my respect for that organization. And one day I'll let you go. You try to give away a keeper. Even cause you know you're scared to win And I say Stay And you say But Well, Scott, I I feel like you've said it all. And with that, uh, if you've stuck with us this far, listener, well done. And now we'll hand it over to the bevy's master of ceremonies, Jovial J. Shepard. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report. Thank you, Jake. Thank you, Scott. Great to be back here for another year of the bevy's. And hey, happy fifth birthday to the bevy's. Nice job, guys. Let's get right into it. As always, our first award at utahstreetreport.com is the Forgotten Man. This year's award, named after last year's winner, Francisco Pena. Oops. Maybe we'll, uh, maybe we'll get this one right this year. So the nominees for this year's Francisco Pena Memorial Forgotten Man Award are Edwin Jackson, Oliver Drake, David Washington, and, hey, Francisco Pena. And with 56% of the vote at utahstreetreport.com, this year's winner of The Forgotten Man, David Washington. Congratulations, David. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Matt Taylor from The Roar from 34. Hello, Bird's Eye View listeners. This is Matt Taylor from RoarFrom34.com. I am actually a retired blogger. This is my first season since 2006 that I am not writing about my beloved Baltimore Orioles online. Pleased to report, however, that my readership is as steady as ever. Which begs the question, if you post content on the internet and no one actually reads it, did you really post content at all? 
When I'm not engaged in such philosophical musings, I'm able to do fun things like present at the bevies. This is my second year doing so, and I appreciate the guys for being so kind as to invite me to participate. And speaking of kindness, our category deals with why the free giveaways that we presenters get in our swag bag. You didn't know that the bevy presenters got swag bags? Well, we do, and we're going to run down some of those items and tell you which one is actually the best. So, starting at the top, we have the Wade Miley Foam Finger. If you watched Wade Miley twirl a rare gem toward the end of last season, you know which finger is extended skyward. Next up, we have the Hyun Soo Kim Seat Cushion. Seat cushions fell out of fashion and fell out of favor as a free giveaway at the ballpark, but the Bird's Eye View crew has found them and put them into the swag bag, this one with Hyun Soo Kim's image on the front. He's done plenty of sitting while in Baltimore, so a seat cushion could have no other player adorning it. Our third is a bit of a throwback. The guys have provided a Leo Mazzoni fidget spinner. You remember Leo Mazzoni, the famed pitching coach at the Atlanta Braves, who left Atlanta, came to Baltimore, determined to prove when it comes to pitching, one man's trash is another man's treasure, and found that, well, in Baltimore, there was just trash. Leo used to rock back and forth in the dugout. If only, if only they had fidget spinners back then, he wouldn't have had to rock at all. Next up, the Dexter Fowler mood ring. We know the Dexter Fowler story. He wanted a ring, so he spurned our beloved Orioles, and he got that ring, but then spurned the Cubs for the rival Cardinals. The mood ring will help you to know what move Dexter might make next. Our next item is the Manny Machado piggy bank. Save your pennies, fans but it's still not going to be enough. You'll end up smashing that piggy bank sometime within the next year, year and a half. And finally, we have the last swag bag item on our list, and that is the wild card standings board. Yes, forget about having the full American League standings. All you need are the wild card standings. This reduced version makes it much easier to maintain optimism and say, oh, look, the Orioles are only four or five games out. Of the wild card. So, now, the envelope, please. And our winning item is the Wade Miley Foam Finger. Folks, Wade Miley, we might not remember him for much, but I'll always remember him for the stunned silence that he left Jim Palmer, the verbose Jim Palmer. The stunned silence he left him in when he raised that finger skyward after pitching a gem Turns out it was just a gesture toward a friend in the opposing dugout and not actually a message to fans, even though he pointed directly at the mass and cameras while doing it. Folks, enjoy the rest of the bevies. I'm glad I could participate again. And hey, keep on not reading Roar from 34. There's nothing new there anyway. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the seductive Tommy Hunter. Oh yeah, girl. Thanks to Jake and Scott for flying me up from Tampa just for this seductive occasion. 
I'm here to present the Boone's Farm Relief Man of the First Half. The reliever most likely to make you reach for the first alcoholic beverage within arm's reach and will leave you hating your life the next morning. And the nominees are Stefan Crichton with an 8.03 ERA and a 2.43 whip in eight appearances. Vidal Nuno with a 10.43 ERA and a 2.25 whip in 12 appearances. And Tyler Wilson with a 7.04 ERA and 1.69. Oh yeah. Whip in nine appearances. Girl, all this talk about whips got me excited. Whew. And the winner, girl? Vidal Nuno. Oh yeah. Acquired in February for a minor league reliever, Nuno's 9.63 fielding independent ERA is so ugly, it wouldn't even look good in a black and orange bustier and stiletto heels. Oh no, girl. What a waste. Thanks, Bevies, for having me. And for a good time, follow me on Twitter at SeductiveTommyH. Mwah! And now, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of Orioles pitching. So the good, the bad, and the ugly of pitching. Scott, is it fair to say that it's going to be tough to find a good... Might this be ugly, ugly, ugly of pitching for Orioles in 2017? Look, there's been a lot of ugly so far for the beginning of the season. But I think there are some highlights that came out of it um, that I would consider to be good, at least. Um, and I think the one name that comes to all of our minds would have to be Dylan Bundy, who really kind of almost filled the role of um, the ace of this team to begin the season. Um, and, and it's kind of surprising. He came into the season and he thought at best he might be a third starter. He was posting a 4.5 ERA uh, earlier um, at the end of last year. So to come in this year and dominate as he did um, was really impressive. Now, to be fair, um, there has been a severe amount of regression at the end of this first half, but I think Dylan Bundy really kind of helped keep whatever there was for the starting rotation together um, through this whole situation. I think the good thing about Dylan Bundy pitching as well as he did was that you saw him actually come through on the promise that we've all hoped for. And when Dylan Bundy came into the league, he was, well, he was a question mark. You weren't sure what he was going to be able to do on that reconstructed arm. We weren't sure if that fire, th- you know, flamethrower that he had been would ever be again. And, and some things that I've noticed from Dylan Bundy this season that I've found to be exciting is the fact that he still occasionally has heat to reach back and get to. I've seen him reach 94 and 95 on occasion when he needs to get himself out of trouble. Most of the time he's in the low to nine, you know, low nineties to maybe 93. But his off-speed stuff has really come a long way. And he's seen quite a few starts this year where, you know, fastball's just not working for him, and he makes his money on the off-speed stuff. And I think we've seen him pitch and pitch well. And now that we know that it's there, now that it's within him, it'll be nice to see him continue to progress for the rest of his career. I think the other name that at least comes up in my mind would be Brad Brock. And I think when Zach Burton went down, everyone's just like, ugh, you know, what does this mean? 
And yes, there have been some hiccups in the road for Brad Brock at the beginning of the season um, with a few blown saves. But on the whole, Brad Brock has had um, a, a really great first half of the season. 9.63 Ks per nine, 2.58 walks per nine. Um, is putting up a 2.58 ERA and a 0.9 F4. Jake, without Brad Brock, um, you know, this team would have been dead in the water is the best way to describe it. And we were talking about the beginning of this year of saying, well, do the Orioles really need a Brad Brock? Well, it's obvious, you know, um, by them even just losing Zach Burton in the process, that the Orioles really do need to rely on a, a three-man aspect in terms of their bullpen of a Zach Burton, a Brad Brock, and a Darren O'Day to really skate by with how deep their starters are going into games. So I think Brad Brock really has emphasized his value and has been really good um, for the first half for the Baltimore Orioles as well. All right, so you say Brock's had a good first half. Uh, do you think that him pitching in the ninth was in any way a detriment to him and his performance in the first half? Potentially a little bit um, while he was getting used to that role, but I'd also say it was pretty much a, a benefit to the Orioles because um, it gives him the ability to kind of potentially slot into that closer role in the future or uh, potentially be a trade prospect in the future for someone that's looking for a closer or even a setup guy um, that Brock could easily be. So Brad Brock has done everything to compound upon uh, last year's season, which some of us thought was a fluke. Sure. I, the pitching staff themselves has been telling us for years now that Brad Brock has closer stuff. Yep. He's going to be a closer in the league someday. I, I just I worry a little bit uh, that what we've seen in the first half will damage his uh, trade value if we try to offload him as a potential candidate uh, for a closer for a club that needs one if the Orioles decide to sell. I'm not saying he's been terrible. It's sure. just one of the things I saw that that uh, gave me a little bit of pause. Yeah, I mean, I think we came back and we're so used to any blown save is basically this guy isn't that very good. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's you still come back to he had four blown saves um, through the entire season, which in reality is not terrible yeah um, I, I wouldn't say it's great but i certainly wouldn't say it's terrible um and not to mention the orioles really um got pushed into a corner with britain going out so i think brad brock deserves a mighty tip of the cap because he's really held um the entire bullpen together through some of his performances and i am totally willing to say that i am spoiled in what i consider to be an acceptable closer performance right let's move on over the bad category and i think the obvious choice here has to be chris tillman um, perhaps not entirely his own fault, but I think looking at how he's been pitching and looking at some of the velocity in- issues that he had and also coming off the DL late into the season, Chris Tillman, you were hoping that he was going to be that number three starter and really solidify the middle of that rotation, and he just hasn't been able to fill that role, which just means that you've got three back-end starters um, in Miley, Tillman, and Jimenez, where that's okay if half your rotation is getting through and being okay. But when it's the back three, um, that makes it really difficult and also puts a major tax on the bullpen. So Chris Tillman is bad. And I don't know if it's going to get any better as the second half goes on. You know, I am not a guy that, that feels like Chris Tillman was ever particularly great. Uh, He had a really good 2013 first half. He didn't follow up as well as we would have liked. But I make no bones about the fact that Chris Tillman is not a great pitcher, right? He's he's pretty good. He's he's okay. But Chris Tillman was not there when the team desperately needed him this season. And I think for me, that's why he's bad. Even with my, let's call them tempered expectations, I needed Chris Tillman to be Chris Tillman, and he's not. He's not been. He's not been anywhere near 
even the level that we could have hoped for reasonably. And for me, that's why he's bad. Sure. And I think it really comes back to you look at his case per nine, 6.61. And in comparison to previous years, it's not terrible. 6.24 in uh, 2016. And I'm sorry, 6.24 in 2015 and 7.33 in 2016. So again, a little bit lower than he hasn't been in the past, but the walk rate has been jumping up. It's 4.78 this year versus 3.45 and 3.33. Chris Tillman just doesn't look comfortable out there in the mound. And that comfortability in the zone um, generally has allowed more base hits. Um, He's basically skirting around the zone, which allows more walks. Chris Tillman needs to figure out how he is going to pitch for the rest of the year. Because if he can't figure out how he is going to pitch and be effective in that pitching, he's really of no use to the Baltimore as going forward. So do you think that the injury is still a lingering factor, either because he's physically impaired from being able to throw like he wants, or because he's not stretched out the way he needs to be to, quote-unquote, start a season? Yes and yes. And I also think there's probably a mental aspect in there, too, mm-hmm. just not having the confidence in some of his pitching as well. And it couldn't have happened to him in a worse time as far as his contract situation is concerned. Very true. Is it possible that that's a good thing for the Orioles? Yeah, pro- probably. I mean, they'll probably get him on a one-year deal for like eight or nine million or something. Okay, fair enough. Tell me who was ugly in pitching and try to do it in less than an hour. All right. So, Jake, my ugly for pitching has to go to Kevin Gossman, who I believe I predicted uh, on our, our preseason show of going to have a Mike Mussina-like season. And Kevin Gossman has done nothing of the sorts. Well, let's be fair. I'm pretty sure that Mike Messina now could have the season that Kevin Gosman is having this year. All right. That's fair. Um, but I, you look at his entire numbers, and there's nothing there that really screams, wow, he's having a great season. 5.85 ERA, um, 7.7 Ks per nine, and then 3.99 walks. And it's really that walk rate that really I want to emphasize again. The command is an issue, and until Kevin Gosman can figure out how to sequence the ball and get some better command of his pitches, he's not going to get there. His home run rate has also been up a little bit too at 1.3. I still say there is some positives in here of Kevin Gossman, as bad as he's been, still is the best starting pitcher on this team in terms of FIP. And I think that we've seen some positives from Kevin Gossman over the past month. We've seen some negatives too. Um, but there's been some positives this past month. I think Kevin Gossman turns it around in the second half. And I think he has um, a second half that I was expecting um, at the beginning of the season. I'm not as confident with that as you are. I will say, however, that I I don't look at the season that Kevin Gossman's had this year and think to myself, oh, that's it. He's damaged. He's broken goods. He'll never be good again. I think he's having a bad season. I think he's having an off season, but I still think that the the potential is there for Kevin Gosman, and I think that I'm confident that his next season will be good. You know, will it be great? I I don't know, but I feel like it won't be this bad forever. I, I don't think we're going to get as much out of him this season, but it's not a lost cause. He doesn't need to go somewhere else to bring us back Steve Clevenger. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Zach Wilt and Jabby Burns of Baltimore Sports Today. Hey, this is Zach Wilt. And Jabby Burns from Baltimore Sports Today. And we're back again this year at the Bevies, and we're thrilled to deliver the Bevy for the most devastating injury of the 2017 Orioles season. Yeah, and here's the deal. Like, our thought was this season has been derailed by so many things, Zach, but... Really, if you think about it, injuries, 
have been huge. Don't they have on the bevies? Don't they? Don't the BEV guys? Don't they have a injury report? Uh, and I could be botching it, but I mean the medical corner, whatever it is. I do. feel like they should. Right? I, I listen to that podcast once in a while. <laughs> they do. I feel like we might be stealing their thunder with uh, with this. Oh, story. I rip everybody off. Go ahead. <laughs> so that's uh, kind of been one of the stories I think of the 2017 Orioles season. So that's what we're here to deliver. So why don't we jump right in, Jab, and uh, and start with the candidates. Who's our first candidate uh, for the most devastating injury of the 2017 season? Some would say the contract that was given to him by his fake father, Peter Angelos, would be the most devastating part of it. So if you follow along here at home, this guy was signed to the Baltimore Orioles and had no comp- competitive offers, as far as I know, against <laughs> said guy. But yet he had the same injury for the second time in a couple of years here. One, Chris Davis, Crush Davis, your man, Crush Davis, number one for us. Would, would Crush Davis fit in that category for you? Absolutely, yeah. Definitely, definitely qualifies for the award. Uh, number two is a guy that uh, led all of baseball in saves last year, was the most dominant relief pitcher <laughs> Uh, in years, really, Jabba, a, a Cy Young contender, although he didn't even finish uh, in the top three. And that's Zach Britton, who's been on the shelf with a oh, forearm injury. I remember that guy. That guy was awesome. He was so fun <laughs> last year. He had 100 saves. Should have been in the Cy Young, but it wasn't. Oh, interesting. I got a third guy here, and, and here's my deal with this guy here. He might not be the guy that's just plugging homers right and left. He might not be the guy who played in Milwaukee or even was the 2012 guy who got the big extension. or uh, I'm sorry, 2014 guy who got the big extension, but is a glue guy. And if you start thinking about all the things that had to happen in, in regards to even his as recent as Jonathan Scope playing shortstop, I'm talking about one J.J. Hardy, the glue, your shortstop there. Zach, I feel like that's another guy. That's another candidate that we should put in this awards. Another candidate, yeah, with a wrist fracture there from yep. uh, from J.J. Hardy. Our last contender here uh, for the award, the most devastating injury uh, of the 2017 season. We're going to go back to the beginning of the year. Uh, the Orioles' number one starter, Chris Tillman, who you may remember, missed some time with a shoulder injury to start the season. We we kept we were told throughout spring training, Jab, that he'd be ready to go, but uh, that certainly was not the case for Chris Tillman. No, Chris is going to have a tough time getting that big contract that they were about to give him a couple years ago in that extension that Zach Zach and I both said don't do yet. <laughs> and they've been holding off and holding yes. off. All right. So are you ready? Are you ready? I, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know how excited I am because this, for some reason, they keep bringing us back, Zach, to this program. <laughs> I don't know I, why. I have no idea why. They, they're way more popular than us. And that's one of the reasons they like kind of slum it with us. But I will go ahead and I'm going to rip the envelope. Go I ahead. Pick it. And the winner is Zach, Zach Britton with a forearm, forearm injury. Injury. Yeah, that's go ahead, kinda, Zach. That's Tell me big what you one. think the reason was. Well, you know, I, I think we, you and I always talk on BST about how possibly uh, closers are, it's an overrated position, right? But without Zach Britton, this team just has not been the same. I mean, nobody, you know, nobody uh, is able to plug in for a guy who was the best relief pitcher, you know, possibly ever, at least in a really long time. Uh, and moving everybody up just kind of throws off the strength of this team, which uh, which has been their bullpen. Sure, the offense hasn't been as good. Sure, uh, you know, not having Chris Davis for an extended period. Uh, the rotation has been disastrous. But without Zach Britton, I think we can all agree um, that that it's been tough for the Orioles to be the Orioles. 
my whole thing is I go back to that Kansas City series, and I hate those Royals, by the way. And, and going into that series, the Orioles were still kind of hovering a little bit around a, a certain area, feeling like they had a nice lead. I, the Orioles did have a lead in this division in 2017. So listen, as you're listening to the Bebbies, at some point, the Orioles did lead this division. But I'm not a closer guy, Zach, as you know. I'm not big on it. You find closers. You don't make closers. My whole thing is Zach Britton completely killed derailed the Orioles 2017 season, not by anything he did, but what happened to his arm. And I said before the season, we should have traded him. That's beside the point at this point. At this point, the reason why the Orioles are not probably not going to make the playoffs, Zach, at this point is probably because of Zach Britton. I think Chris Davis was huge because the middle of the lineup, you got a guy who can carry you for a whole week sometimes with this starting rotation. JJ Hardy is a glue guy in, in the middle, obviously. He's somebody that, you know, you just have to have there as, as you've seen the parade of guys now just going over to shortstop un, unless it's not Manny Machado. And finally, as Chris Tillman, who is supposed to be our number one starter, Zach, and I, and I hate air quotes, but number one starter, he was supposed to be. And, and, and to be where the Orioles are now, I still have to give it to Zach Britton. I think it's such a big, big component. And if the Orioles could do something with Zach Britton, we'd be happy. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So that's the story of the 2017 season. Sorry we couldn't uh, bring, you know, no, rainbows and unicorns and sunshine to uh, to the bevies this year. Uh, We've but had a terrible podcast for a couple weeks, too. We've been talking about that <laughs> stuff the whole time. I feel like the Orioles season has brought us all down, so I'm interested to see what the other geniuses uh, on the uh, bevies will, will come up with because I feel like it's going to be a lot of downer stuff. But no matter what, Scott and Jake are a podcast you need to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. So that'll do it for us. Uh, looking forward to the rest of the show. Let's send it back to you, Jake and Scott. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome... Cody Colston and Connor Garcio of the Between Two Birds podcast. Ladies and gentlemen and children of appropriate ages, I am your co-presenter Cody Colston and with me is Connor Guciero. I hope everyone is having a lovely morning, afternoon, or night wherever you may be in the world. And we are the artists formerly known as Between Two Birds. Except, well, we're not dead. I still think it's a little too soon. Well, we aren't in uh, Cuba with Tupac yet. <laughs> Very true. We are here to present our award, the 2017 Orioles Call Me Maybe Award. This award is given to the player who it seems like has been called up and sent down the most. During a season of ups and downs. Mostly downs. We would like to present an award that we feel is an actual representation of the season so far. Now, on to our nominees. Remember, this is the player the voters felt was up and down the most. Who are the voters? Um, you know, smart internet people. Oh, Lord. <laughs> um, so, anyway, your nominees are Stefan Critchin, Miguel Castro, Alec Asher, and Logan Ferret. Ooh, all pitchers. And the winner is... Alec, Alec Asher. Asher. With honorable mention to Stefan Critchin for 10 call-ups and sent-downs. We would like to send a thank you to Jake and Scott for allowing us to present the Call Me Maybe Award. I'm Cody Colston. And I am Connor Garcia. And on to your next award. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome JT Guads from the Equal Justice Underball podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and happy to present the 2017 Bevy for Muffin Niner. This one needs a bit of a history lesson. In the early days of baseball, a ball club was a social club sometimes with hundreds of members. Those members were divided by skill level. There was a first nine, a second nine, the amateurs, and then finally, 
a muffin nine. In his classic work from 1868, The Game of Baseball, Henry Chadwick wrote, This is the title of a class of ball players who are both practically and theoretically unacquainted with the game. Some muffins, however, know something about how the game should be played, but cannot practically exemplify their theory. Muffin Nine games would often feature as a doubleheader with games played by rival first nines. These Muffin Nine matches reminded fans of the skill level demonstrated by their first nines. I know most of you don't expect to learn anything when you tune into an episode of Bird's Eye View, so I'm happy to defy expectations. Without further ado, your winner of the 2017 Muffin Niner Award is Paul Janish. Janish was DFA'd last week after posting a .188 OPS and defensive war of negative .3 over 14 games this season. Janish reminded all of us of the true talents of our first nine shortstop, who is now apparently Jonathan Scope. Of course, Paul Janish has earned an estimated $3.8 million over his career, and a muffin niner in the 1860s traditionally made about $6 a week. So I think Mr. Janish will do just fine. And now, it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of Orioles offense. All right, folks, it's time to talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly for Orioles hitting. And um, I'm actually most surprised about Orioles hitting in general. The Orioles right now are 22nd Major League Baseball in terms of weighted runs created plus with a 91 weighted runs created plus. Even more surprising to me, Jake, was where they stand in the home run category. I thought they'd be at least a top five team in terms of home runs. Jake, as of this moment, they are ranked 11th with 123 home runs behind teams such as the Reds and the Athletics. Yeah, they're just not getting it done. And it's been a collective slump. I mean, you know, that that phrase gets tottered around all the time. But really, it looks like there are large periods of the season where just nothing is going right offensively. If you took any one of these guys, you would say, oh, that guy's in a funk. He'll break out of it altogether. But it seems like this team has been in a collective funk that has gone on and on. And then in the random occasions where they actually pull it all together, unfortunately, the pitching staff gives up even more runs that day. You look at guys that have that have done it for us and, you know, Manny Machado having a rough season, Adam Jones having a rough season, Mark Trumbo not being able to to get back to his winning ways of last year, Chris Davis injury, ineffectiveness. I mean, you just go on and on and on and on. You go through one through nine. And it's tough to find people that are having a good season, but there are a couple. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the one good category um, was Trey Mancini. Uh, he was red hot during spring training, and he basically worked himself onto the roster. Um, and he has been um, pretty much unbeatable at the plate this whole season. I certainly thought that um, with, an, uh, with the sample size that we were seeing from him at the beginning of the season, that he was eventually going to be exposed. But sure enough... Trey Mancini has adapted at the plate and approached the plate aspect in terms of shortening up his swing, taking it to various portions of the field in order just to get the ball um, in play. Now, that being said, um, he's posting a 133 weighted runs created plus, but his BABIP is at 385. I do think we're going to see some regression from Trey Mancini going forward. Um, but at, at the same point, um, Trey Mancini has still put up the offensive numbers. That means he's good um, for the first half. Um, he's put a 14 home runs, uh, 44 RBIs. Great that you can get that kind of performance from a person. You really weren't expecting that kind of performance from coming into the season. Yeah, I, I have to go ahead and just admit defeat here. I thought Trey Mancini was going to be another Christian Walker. Yep. You know, uh, a highly uh, touted Orioles hitting 
you know, quote unquote prospect, somebody that came out of the system and, and I just expected him to, to fail here at the major league level. And instead he's just continued to succeed. I, I agree. I don't think he'll always be this good, but at the same time, I don't think there's any reason, nothing that I've seen from him at the plate that leads me to believe that Trey Mancini can't be an everyday player at the major league level. A superstar? No, but an everyday player is a very valuable player. Right. I think the question is where, but that's a whole other matter. I think another person that we really need to mention, too, is Jonathan Scope, who, again, uh, was the Orioles All-Star representative. And he's having a career year, uh, a 129 weighted runs created plus, uh, 18 home runs so far in the season. Um, and really just showing, actually, in my opinion, some better plate discipline up there. Um, he's His walk rate has skyrocketed from 3.2% last year to 5.4% in terms of a walk rate. But the jokes that were made back in the past are saying, oh, my gosh, Jonathan Scope drew a walk. That has kind of, I wouldn't say fallen to the wayside completely, but it's more of a, okay, Jonathan Scope walked today. It's it's not a complete shock that this happened. You also forgive a guy who's having a great career year for when, you know, he's got a crappy walk rate. Right? Absolutely. But, I mean, still posting a 347 on-base percentage. If you would have told me Jonathan Scope would have over a 320 on-base percentage, I would have taken it any day of the year. So Jonathan Scope has having a breakout offensive performance um, this season. So, hey, great for uh, for Jonathan Scope. Um, it's great that he's kind of filling that gap that Manny is not doing right now. Good job for him. What do you think about Jonathan Scope this season? Is this the type of deal where this is a fluke? This is, you know, his one good year? Or do you think that he could be developing into a player that can do this more often? All right. So he's 25 years old. Sure. Um, I, I definitely think that it's a possibility that he could be developing into um, a better player than he was in the past. Um, the plate discipline thing is the most interesting aspect. It's like, to a certain regard, he's be, it'll be better able to recognize. And it still comes back to last year was his first full season with the team, 162 games. Mm. In uh, 2015, he didn't get through a whole full season. We had the incident uh, at second base. And even in 2014, he played 137 games, but didn't play an entire season. So I think he's finally starting to get that seasoning where he's been part of the show for a long enough period of time and been there for a full season where I think it finally feels like I belong. I know my part and my role on this team. Um, I don't know if he'll have as good as a performance as we've seen from him. Um, But I do think that he could potentially be, as I've pointed out in the past, that Melvin Moore like player where it's, yeah, he could be an all-star, but he's probably just below an all-star. But you know what? You need those players to balance out with your superstars that are on your team. Isn't it crazy to think that just a couple of years ago, we were trying to decide whether Jonathan Scope or Ryan Flaherty should be getting the bulk of the time at second base? Yeah. But I mean, at the same point, 2014 with uh, Jonathan Scope, he had a 64 rated runs grade plus mm-hmm. in 2014. I mean, it was abysmal at the plate. So to go from 64 rated ones created plus when you first came up to now 129, uh, me likey, me likey a lot. This is what we've been waiting for. Yes. All right. So let's go to a bad in terms of hitting. And, um, well, this is a tough one, but I, I, I think it's a fair one. It's got to go to Mark Trumbo, who, again, we knew there'd be regression. We knew that sure. he wasn't going to have as good of a season as he had last year. But I don't think we expected at the All-Star break for Mark Trembo to only have 14 home runs. Yeah, and, and the other thing is that for a while there, it wasn't just that he wasn't collecting the home runs, it's that he was in enough of a funk that he wasn't really a productive bat in the middle of the lineup. You know, he wasn't making much contact at all for a couple of weeks there. 
at the worst time when the rest of the lineup was also struggling. For me, it's not so much a frustration that he's not hitting the dingers. Uh, you know, if he's got 14 home runs now, you know, he can end up with 30. And that's what we all said. You know, you bring Mark Trumbo in a Camden Yards, he's going to give you 30 home runs. Right. I, I think he'll do that. I think the real question is, what else does he do for you? And last year, he made up for all sorts of things with, you know, leading the league in homers. This year, he's not doing anything else for you, or at least he wasn't for a goodly portion of the first season, or first half. So I think from here on out, it's, yeah, how many dingers does he hit? But also, what else does he do for you? Is he a productive bat in the middle of the lineup? Moving runners, driving in runs, passing the baton. It can't all be home runs and strikeouts. Well, it can be for the Baltimore Orioles, well, but yeah, he would he would fit in. All right, ugly for this year. It's got to go, and this is from a hitting standpoint, it's got to go to J.J. Hardy, who's posting a 43 weighted runs created plus. Um, the slow, precipitous decline of J.J. Hardy's hitting performance um, literally was a situation where when J.J. Hardy went out um, with an injury, people were like, I'm not sure that's such a bad, bad thing, in all honesty. And that's the last thing you want to hear um, going into pretty much a contract year for J.J. Hardy. So... I, we've talked about this before on the show. I, I think JJ Hardy is potentially playing his last year as a baseball player, and it's sad to see. But JJ Hardy just can't cut it anymore against major league pitching. He can't, and it's it's sad because he has been a fan favorite, and he's been a favorite of ours. But he just doesn't have it in the tank anymore. He just does not. And he, you know, he went from being a really good hitter, maybe not so much for average, sure, to looking overmatched. By good pitching. Right. And then he went to be looking like he was overmatched at okay pitching. Right. And now he just looks overmatched at all pitching. Right. This, I agree with you, has to be the swan song of J.J. Hardy, and it is not a happy tune. Now, let me ask you this question, and this is getting a little dark, but we can cover this on a later show. But if you had a choice for a super utility player next year, are you going with Ryan Flaherty or are you going with J.J. Hardy? I don't think uh, Hardy has enough other skills to to fill in as a, a... utility player okay i i agree with you about this but i just wanted to see what your your impressions were on that i think the only way that jj hardy comes back is if the orioles sell everything Mm. and he has to be one of those players that is acquired to put butts in seats because people will come to shout jj in front of his name when called by ryan wagner well there you have it folks the good the bad and the ugly for your baltimore Orioles and hitting Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Joshua Hausam and Greg Wisniewski of the Artificial Turf Wars podcast. We are proud to join the Bird's Eye View Baltimore Midseason Awards show for the first time. Glad to see everyone's looking sharp tonight. Josh and I are here to present the bevy for Cy Young Award. Against only the Blue Jays. Yes, some pitchers this year have had standout first half performances and we looked at their numbers in depth and one of them will walk away with a Cy Young against only the Blue Jays <laughs> uh, tonight uh Josh who is our first nominee well that would be the famous big sexy Bartolo Colon before being designated for assignment he had a beautiful ERA of 8.14 and a strikeout per nine of just six per nine <laughs> And he faced the Blue Jays on May 15th and twirled a little gem. Five innings, only two runs allowed. That's an ERA of 3.6. But our second nominee is Wade Miley, who has had a bit of a rough go with a 5.20 ERA and 5.2 walks per nine innings. 
But oh, not when he faced those Blue Jays. He faced off against them three different times and held them to a three ERA and only walked two and a half per nine. Quite the Cy Young performance. And another great candidate for this Cy Young against only the Blue Jays bevy award is Kevin Gaussman. Sure, the rest of the league has beat him up a bit with a 6.78 ERA. That doesn't sound so good. But against the Blue Jays, he's managed just sparkling 22 and a third innings of 1.99 ERA ball and 16 strikeouts. Tough to beat, but we've got one more nominee, and it's another Oriole. And I'd love to give the award to all the guys we've already talked about. Uh, almost as badly as they wanted to give it to the hitters in Toronto, but I can't. I can't because there is a clear winner, and we couldn't pass over... Ubaldo Jimenez! Yes! Ubaldo's eight innings of one-hit ball against Toronto were impossible to ignore. Yes, especially considering it was his longest outing of the year, and one of only three times he's held an opponent scoreless. His performance against everybody else in the league, 7.39... ERA, so he beat it by 7.39 runs per nine. <laughs> Come on down. Pick up your Cy Young against only the Blue Jays, Ubaldo. And make it quick before you get designated for assignment. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Carrie Magnus and Sarah English, the Baseball Widows. Hey, it's the Baseball Widows, Carrie and Sarah. We're here to present the bevy for the Oriole who should be featured in next year's ESPN body issue. And the nominees are Adam Jones, hashtag stay horny. Manny Machado, you know what they say about a guy with big ears. JJ Hardy, since he's on the DL, he should be doing something to support the team. And the winner is, wait, it was a last minute write in vote. The Oriole, who should be featured in next year's ESPN body issue, is the skipper himself, Buck Showalter. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Jake English of the Bird's Eye View podcast. As astute fans will know, the NFL has recently lost Viagra and Cialis as major corporate sponsors. Some news outlets are pointing this out as a sign of, quote, softening ad markets, end quote. The 2005 Rafael Palmero Award looks to get the blood going and ask which Oriole or Orioles would most likely shill for the little blue pill? Or, to put another way, which Orioles would you find in matching claw tubs overlooking a scenic view? And our nominees are Ryan Flaherty. You know why Ryan Flaherty is a candidate here, don't you? No, I don't actually. I can just see him looking down in his well let's this is a family program see him looking down in his lap saying over and over to himself come on mother and uh, our second nominee is going to go to hansu kim who's just trying to get off the bench and get a little wood in the game our next nominee is manny machado and jonathan scope clearly claude tub partners hmm He's also got a little bit of ears, so that might be a, be a factor. And our final cat nominee is Tyler Wilson, who's got the balls in the air, but no wood to go with it. How did we not select Caleb Joseph for this particular award? Eh, we're not talking about ball enhancement. We're talking about something else. Yes. And so before we get kicked off the podcast, the winner is... The winner is Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope, partners in Claude Tubbs on any Cialis commercial for the Baltimore Orioles. Congratulations to our winner, and back to you, Jovial J. 
Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Oriole Jesus. Orioles fans, I know these first games have been hard to watch at times, but the good news is that you have a secret weapon on your side peering down on Camden Yards at all times. That's right, brothers and sisters, this is Orioles Jesus coming at you from the heavens above. I feel both blessed and humbled to be included in the 2017 Bevy Awards. I'm wearing my finest white robe and leather sandals, but before I present my award, let us bow our heads and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you for blessing us with another half season of Orioles baseball. Although the results of the first half have certainly tested our faith, we trust in your ultimate plan. The hard times help build our faith in you. We take comfort in knowing that there are many more summer nights at the Holy Yard, and we trust that you shall keep the Natty Bows as cold as Dan Duquette's heart. We thank you for removing T.J. McFarland and Brian Maddox from our lives here in 2017, and we pray for the bat of Brother Machado to wake up during the Ides of July. We ask you to give strength to the forum of Zach Britton and to us as fans, to give us the courage to continue watching this depressing team each night. May the second half be better than the first. In his name we pray. Amen. Tonight I will be presenting the Judas Award. This award is given to the member of the Orioles organization who, despite wearing the orange and black, seems to be against us at times. With no further ado, here are your less than holy nominees. The first nominee is Ubaldo Jimenez. When Ubaldo signed his four-year, $50 million contract in 2014, many Orioles fans thought he would be the savior of the starting rotation. Not only has he not lived up to his lofty contract, he gets sent to the bullpen more frequently than most of you go to church. Admittedly, there are indeed glimpses of hope. Ubaldo has tossed three of the four longest starts by an Orioles starting pitcher here in 2017, but more often than not, he pitches like the strike zone is wider than the Red Sea. Ubaldo's earned run average has been north of seven for most of the 2017 campaign, and I don't even want to bring up his painful one-pitch outing in the 2016 wildcard game, which was nearly as painful as being nailed to a cross. Ubaldo is a strong contender for the Judas Award. The second nominee is Wade Miley. Most baseball experts will claim that being left-handed is a huge advantage for starting pitchers, but these experts have certainly not watched Wade Miley. The Orioles acquired Miley last August to help make a playoff push. After watching him now for almost a whole year, I wouldn't have traded a box of communion wafers for him. Look no further than his July 3rd start against the Brewers, where he lasted all of one and two-thirds of an inning, allowing seven earned runs. Wade Miley's 5.2 ERA and complete ineptitude on the mound make him a highly qualified nominee. The third and final nominee is Dan Duquette. The Bible teaches us to love everyone and treat others kindly, but I cannot find anything to love about the Orioles general manager, Dan Duquette. Here's a guy who continuously attempts to cobble together a starting rotation despite having a core of position players and an often elite bullpen capable of making deep playoff runs. 
Our farm system is consistently ranked amongst the worst, and we have been unable to develop quality players. The O's brass seems to place zero emphasis on international signings, a brazen strategy considering the worldly makeup of Major League Baseball players. Duquette's other qualifications include trading Zach Davies, Josh Hader, Ariel Miranda, and Cy Young Award winner Jake Arrieta. Remember when Dan signed Ubaldo over Irvin Santana? Well, Santana has 10 wins this year and a 2.99 ERA, while Ubaldo has all of three wins and is sporting an ERA approaching seven. Finally, Dan has let some elite talent and fan favorites leave the organization during his tenure, including, but not limited to, Nelson Cruz, Andrew Miller, and Nick Markakis. The votes are in, and your winner of the Judas Award is... Dan Duquette. This is Orioles Jesus. I'd like to thank Jake and Scott for including me in this prestigious event. And now it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of Orioles defense. All right, Scott, I need you to get defensive here. No, I'm not going to do it. I am not going to do it. Back off. Um, that's not going to happen. The good, the bad, and the ugly of the defense. Scotty, you put a oh, note here. Oh, I see what you're doing there. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. You put a note here uh, for us to review for the good yeah. in defense for the first half of the season. Sure. You want to talk about the beef, Wellington Castillo. And I'm I'm interested in this sure. because when we got Wellington Castillo, yeah. the thinking was, oh, an offensively-minded catcher to replace Weeters. Gee, I hope that he's at least passable defensively so that we can make do. That hasn't happened. No, I mean, I, I think that, to a certain regard, there is an offensive aspect. But I would also say, uh, I think we are expecting really, really bad things from Wellington Castillo behind the plate. And all things considering, I've actually been... Um, lukewarm is the best way to describe it with his defensive performance, where it's I don't think it's as bad as it was advertised. I think... You know, he has a few issues with his pitch framing, but compared to Weeders, I think that it's potentially a positive over Weeders was in the past. Um, I also think he does a really good job of kind of blocking balls um, and does a really good approach in that. And it's not like people have run rampant on him as well. So I I think that you look at um, the performance that you're getting from Wellington Castillo, and I think you look at the performance that uh, the Nationals are currently getting from Matt Weeders, and you look at it and saying that was actually probably a positive move that the Orioles made, all things considering. All right. I'm going to throw on the orange colored glasses for a second. Sure. Is it possible? Hi, Jim Hunter. How's it going? <laughs> Is it possible yes. that as we want to fire the pitching coach when the pitchers don't do well, that the Orioles may have um, above average catching coaching? As far as the organization, whether it be John Russell or anybody else in the organization, is it possible that that is simply a strength of the coaching staff that makes people better once they get here? That's a ballsy comment. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm just shooting the breeze. Yep. But uh, it's it's possible. I mean, John Russell, um, just in terms of working with the footwork that he did with Caleb Joseph, I think kind of gets some credence to it. Um, but past the whole Caleb Joseph aspect... I mean, it's not like Chancisco has improved dramatically on defense right now in the minor leagues. Um, and you look at the rest of the catching prospects that the Orioles have, and they're all meh defensively. Mm-hmm. So I, I really don't know if I can buy that in its entirety. Uh, I just kind of say, yeah, you know, 
Castillo has been better than was advertised to us is the best way to put it. Fair enough. All right. Can we go into the bad sure. of the defense? Yeah. For me, the bad of the Orioles defense has to be meh. And let me explain a little bit more. The Orioles have had a strength of defense for the past several years. As as long as they've been good, as long as they've been relevant again, it's been on the back of amazing hitting and really, really good defense, particularly really, really good infield defense. And so this year, the defense has not been quite so spectacular. And there isn't really one or two areas where they're clearly deficient, right? You're not seeing balls hit to first base every night and having a drop. It's not that that kind of thing is happening. You can't, you know, single out and say, oh, you know, Ruben Tejada has just been abysmal at short since uh, J.J. Hardy's been out. It's not like that. But the Orioles' defense has only been okay, and that's been a problem because every other aspect of the team has also been pretty bad. So the fact that the defense isn't a huge boon, the fact that they aren't saving a whole lot of runs, has made has made a negative for me. So the fact that the Orioles' defense isn't stellar the way it has been in the past, it's been meh, and for me that's bad. Yeah, I, I think it comes back to there hasn't been any wow moments. I mean, you look at Manny, for example, and there's a few wow moments there, but past that, I can't really think of another moment I'm just like, Oh, well, that was a really great play. Um, the scat cast numbers kind of back this up too in the outfield. Uh, there are no plays of a five star play and five star plays are pretty rare. Let's just we'll, we'll put that out there. They only happen about 10% of the time. Um, but like, for example, Adam Jones has had 19 opportunities. Uh, no five star, op- no, no five star catches, even four star catches. Jones has only had two out of 10, which again is not terrible. This is right where it should be in terms of you know, how many times he's going to catch it. But I still come back to the point of there is none of that, wow, above average defense that you're not expecting. And it's just meh. And meh doesn't do anything for you and doesn't help to bolster um, when you're weaker in areas and you're slumping as well. And the worst part is that while they're giving up runs and, and therefore runs are a premium, and while they're trying to find places to put people who might be effective at the plate like oh let's say trey mancini sure they're giving up defense in order to make that happen right and i think it comes back to we've talked about this before of saying well our starters don't need to be that great because we've got a great defense behind it and then i always scream is like like well no that's not the case like the reason your era and your fip are different is because well regression is most likely going to happen to you um and regression came full steam ahead for the 2017 Orioles for the first half of the season. Um, You know, defense is already built into the factors in terms of everything else. Uh, We are seeing the repercussions of, again, putting a player like Seth Smith and Hunsu Kim out in the outfield or a player like Joey Rickard and Trey Mancini out in the outfield. These are corner outfielders that really are not that great. Um, And when that happens, you put a burden on the rest of your team. Good thing uh, that Adam Jones called out the organization to go get more athletic outfielders. Boy, did they listen. Yep. All right. Let's go to the ugly for uh, for fielding. And I think it has to go to fundamentals. And in my opinion, rundowns have been absolutely horrific this season. Yakety sacks. Get the Benny Hill theme. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I know they cover rundowns in spring training, um, but you look at the uh, countless times where a rundown has been squandered or just a poor performance around down in, t- in terms of too many throws back and forth and another runner advancing to another base. Um, 
I don't know quite what's going on, but the rundowns have been absolutely abysmal. So um, fundamentals need to be refocused on. Rundowns need to happen. I hate to sound like Rick, uh, Rick Dempsey here, but it's a simple part of the game, but it's a really important part of the game. Can I ask a dumb question? Sure. No, really. Lower your expectations. Okay. Is it possible that a lack of fundamentals in the infield may be in some small way uh, related to a lack of J.J. Hardy? It's definitely possible. I think J.J. Hardy kind of is that commander out there and that person that kind of directs traffic. Um, so, yes, I do think it's possible. And even when he's not intimately involved in the play, he's also exactly where he's supposed to be. Yep. And you can't you can't depend on that from Yanish or Tejada no, or, you know, even when Flaherty gets We've back. talked about that before where previous seasons where Buck has said, Hardy is always in the right position. I never have to tell him where to go. And it doesn't make any sense for him to be where he's at until you look and you're just like, actually, that makes a ton of sense why he was backing that player up or he was in this position here. It's that constant ability to be in the right place at the right time, which is just an experience aspect that you don't get um, with a Yanish or a Tejada or a Giovatella. Um, it also comes back to the reason why, you know, the shortstop, I think, is one of the more important positions because it really helps delegate where the third baseman needs to be played, but also where the second baseman needs to play, which means that I always think that that's where you're one of your best defenders needs to be playing, a.k.a. that's where I think Manny Machado should be playing, but that's a whole other matter. That's a weird way to say Jonathan Scope. Yeah. What can I say? I'm still working on my, my, my Dutch. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dylan Atkinson of Orioles Uncensored. Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Dylan Atkinson, editor-in-chief and co-host of Orioles Uncensored, the official Orioles blog and podcast of the Charm City Sports Network. I am here to present to you one of the 2017 Bevy Awards, which is dedicated to a former Oriole uh, who was very well known for his Budweiser and Bud Light can collecting at the 2014 and 2016 postseason celebrations for the Orioles. And he is also very well known for seeing Orioles fans in bars around Baltimore, including uh, Dempsey's during the 2014 celebration, and partying with Orioles fans, buying beers and shots for Orioles fans as well. Also, with his new club, the Tampa Bay Rays, he was caught by a couple fans earlier this year who tweeted it out that he was drinking a beer in the bullpen during one of the Rays games. Very classic of him. Yes, I'm sure you know who this is about. This is the Tommy Hunter Award. This award will go out to the Oriole who you would most likely want to party with or have a beer with. So, without further ado, let's get to our five nominees. First is Orioles catcher, number 36, Caleb Joseph. Next is Orioles Utility Man, currently on the disabled list, number three, Ryan Flaherty. Third is Orioles center fielder, number 10, Adam Jones. Fourth, Orioles catcher, number 29, Wellington Beef Castillo. And last but not least, starting pitcher, number 37, Dylan Bundy. And the winner of this Tommy Hunter Award goes to catcher number 29, Wellington Castillo. Uh, he did not show up to FanFest. He was a last-minute scratch the day off for FanFest due to an illness, and there were v- v- 
a lot of rumors circulating around that Castillo missed FanFest with an illness, and that illness was a hangover from the night before when he was out partying. It could be true, it could not be, but if it is true, I want to party with Wellington Beef Castillo. This is Dylan Atkinson with Royals Uncensored of the Charm City Sports Network, and I'm out. Thanks. Peace. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Ryan Blake of the Orioles Fans Problems Twitter handle. What's up, Orioles fans? Uh, Ryan Blake here. You may have uh, seen my work on UtahStreetReport.com. You may have heard me before on the Bird's Eye View podcast. Uh, I've been been passed around uh, Baltimore sports media. I guess that's the right way to put that. You also may know me from my Orioles account at Orioles Fan Probs with a Z because I was... 17 and thought it was cool to spell probs with a z when i created that account so yeah uh, this is my first year doing the bevy awards i'm very thrilled that the bird's eye view guys wanted to uh have me present an award this year and uh since i didn't really feel like doing it by myself i decided to bring along my sister julia uh who is how old are you 14 and do you know anything about the orioles nope all right so this will be good um <laughs> Julia, do you have a favorite player on the Orioles? I know, like, you know some of the guys, right? Who's your favorite player? Manny Machado. All right, that's, that's a pretty solid, uh, solid choice right there. You can't go wrong with that. Um, so I, I, it, I thought long and hard about the award I wanted to present, uh, for this show. And, um, I was watching The Office the other day and I, uh, was watching the episode where they did the Dundee Awards. Uh, I'm not sure if any of you listeners are, uh, into the office, but I, I decided to follow along with the Dundee Awards, and the award I'm going to present this year is going to be called the Don't Go In There After Me Award, which Michael Scott presented to Kevin uh, for the uh, smelliest bowel movement. Uh, so in the spirit of that, uh, the Orioles' season so far has been much like a smelly bowel movement, and uh, I'm going to uh, continue that trend. Um, Julia, do you have any idea who I might be giving this award to? No. You're you're a woman of few words, aren't you? Yes. All right, great. So um, this year's nominees are um, pretty much the entire starting rotation. Your nominees are Dylan Bundy, Kevin Gosman, Chris Tillman, Ubaldo Jimenez, and Wade Miley. Uh, Julia, out of those five, do you have any guesses who might be receiving this award? Probably not. I think those are, that's the most words you've said at, at one time this whole thing. Uh, probably not. That's two. That beats one. Um, so anyway, can I get a drum roll, please? All right, I, I guess, sure. Uh, this year's winner of the, uh, Don't Go In There After Me award is... Chris Tileman. <laughs> All right, Chris Tileman. Uh, Chris Tillman gets the award this year. Um, thank you, Julia. You were close. Uh, Tillman this year gets the award because... Uh, he has made 11 starts this year, and uh, his first one, he went five shutout innings and left the game with the lead. Second outing, uh, he left when the game was tied. And uh, since then, his past nine outings, all of which he has left the game uh, trailing, with, with the Orioles trailing. Um, so that gives the bullpen kind of a sticky situation, trying to come from behind. And uh, so I, I think, th- does that make sense, Julia, me giving the, uh, the don't go in there after me award to Chris Tillman? Yes. Do you have anything else to say? No. <laughs> All right. So um, 
Tillman this year uh, has an ERA of almost eight. His whip is over two. Um, he hasn't been good. So um, this year's this year's recipient of the "Don't Go In There After Me" award is not Kevin, but instead Chris Tillman. Thank you all for listening. Thank you, thank you again to the Bird's Eye View guys for allowing me to do this. Julia, do you have anything else to add? Congrats, Chris Tileman. <laughs> Congrats, Chris Tileman. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Scott Magnus of the Bird's Eye View podcast. Oh, yeah. Our next award is the Orioles Heel Turn Award. <clears throat> All right. Sorry. As longtime listeners will know, I have been trying to educate Jake in the ways of professional wrestling. Though he's still fighting on it, I think he's starting to understand some of the basic. And let's face it, with men in spandex, it's right up his alley anyway. With that, I'm here to present the Orioles Here Torn Award, given to the Oriole who is most likely to make the transition from hero to villain. And the nominees are Chris Tillman. Oh, yes, Chris Tillman uh, going from a hero uh, in the starting pitching staff, uh, pitching in the wild card game last year, to coming into the starting pitching and serving up meatball upon meatball upon meatball in a contract year. Our next nominee is Abaldo Jimenez. Abaldo Jimenez is probably not quite a heel, but more of a jobber at this point, where he basically comes down, lays down, and basically is beaten by the local hero of the town. So Abaldo Jimenez, interesting selection, probably quite not on heel territory, more comedic relief at this point. Our next nominee is Manny Machado. All right, so Manny Machado is the perfect potential hero to heel or hero to villain category we've got the situation where he could be traded he could go to the yankees in the future uh you've got a situation where he's had the ability to kind of um be uh, objectionable with some of the language that he has used to media members especially within the red sox organization um and, and machado um has been struggling this year has been throwing his back kicking his helmet off everything about it Screams, frustrated hero that is eventually going to have his heel turn and turn into a villain. And our last nominee is Roger McDowell. Ooh. Now, Roger McDowell's a perfect one, actually, for, for, for a heel turn. Uh, he came into the season high accolades saying, oh, well, Roger McDowell's really going to get this team turned around. And instead, he's really embraced his inner persona, which is the spitter, and has really brought this team down and has sabotaged the team in the process. I can think of no better uh, wrestling villain name than the spitter. He's also got pretty consistent uh, pro wrestling facial hair, does he not? He does. So Jake, our winner this year for Orioles heel turn award goes to the spitter, Roger McDowell. Roger McDowell has blown this starting pitching and the bullpen up in the process and has turned a team that was meh to Oh, and let's just hope that the Oros can basically suplex their way back into wildcard contention by getting their pitching back in gear. Can we go back to the spandex for a second? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Derek Arnold of Utah Street Report. Our second bevy at utahstreetreport.com, the Why Are You Breaking My Heart Like This? Just Let Me Love You Award. Uh, last year's winner, Kevin Gossman, who finds himself up for the award again this year. 
Gossman is joined by J.J. Hardy, Chris Tillman, and Manny Machado as basically the uh, most disappointing Orioles so far this year. And with 50% of the vote at UtahStreetReport.com, this year's winner, Manny Machado. Didn't see that one coming. Here's to a better second half for Manny. Hopefully this award spurns him on the greater things, just as it did with Gossman in last year's second half. Thanks again, Bird's Eye View, and back to you. And now it's time for the good, the bad, and the ugly of potpourri. So now we're at everything else. We're going to talk about everything else about Orioles baseball that's been good or bad or ugly. And if, we, if we're going to talk about good, Scott, I'd like to talk about Adam Jones. Yeah. And Adam Jones started this season off strong, and I think that he's backed that up, even in ways that don't have anything to do with Orioles on the field play. He started out helping to carry Team USA to the Baseball World Classic Championship and had that signature moment as Cap 10 America. Sure. Robbing a home run from, I don't know, some guy. And uh, and he really hasn't looked back. You know, Adam Jones, I think, has always been that that kind of second-tier baseball star. He'd never really, he'll never really be the top guy. But it's been nice to see Adam Jones getting some some credit for his play, but also for his leadership. And that's something that the Orioles know very well. But I think that Major League Baseball has gotten a really good taste of Adam Jones's leadership this season. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, you look at the situation in Boston um, where Adam Jones was called um, a, a really foul term is the best way to a derogatory comment. Um, and Adam Jones basically took the situation and said, you know what? I can be an advocate and a voice here and try to make a difference um, in terms of reaching out, um, saying his thoughts about, you know, what it's like to play in that kind of situation and really just rallying against it. And then going to the uh, African uh, uh, baseball museum afterwards and saying, you know what, I'm going to make a donation so that people can come here and this museum can better be supported. Adam Jones is doing everything uh, the right way um, off the field and on the field right now in terms of um, that approach that you expect um, a player um, that has the name Baltimore across their jersey to say. Sometimes he can be surly. Oh, and sometimes he can be thin-skinned. But I will tell you, this season I have never been more proud to root for Adam Jones. And, you know, I, I have two uh, kids who are becoming less and less small all the time. Um, but I, I think it's a shame that my son is so young that he won't get so, uh, as much time to experience Adam Jones in an Orioles uniform because uh, that's the kind of ball player that you look at as a parent and say, you can emulate that. All right, but there has been bad this year in terms of Orioles baseball and MLB in general, and it has to be the expansion of ugly uniforms once again within baseball culture. I just don't understand. The thing is, is that they're all hideous yeah and and if there was a real purpose for these hideous uniforms that would be something but i don't think that mlb is really being forthcoming and honest with us they say that all these special event uniforms like the mother's day or the father's day or memorial day or fourth of july or soon to be labor day whatever they they create these horrible ugly uniforms and then they auction them off for charity my question is how much of the proceeds go to charity? Sure. And then they sell them on their online shops and sell them in the stadiums. And again, does any of that money go to charity? If so, how much? Now, 
This is annoying to me, but this year they've expanded the scope of instead of just the 4th of July, now it's the 1st through the 5th of July. Yeah. It's not just Mother's Day. It's Mother's Day weekend. It's not just Father's Day. It's Father's Day weekend. Enough. Sure. Enough. And it it has the feeling of an ugly money grab. And the other question, too, is I I go into a stadium and occasionally I'll see someone wear an All-Star Game jersey, for example, saying, oh, well, that person is representing the All-Star Game jersey when it was with the Mets. But I never see someone walk in and say, I decided to wear my Mother's Day jersey to the ballpark today. Like, I I understand you're trying to say, oh, we're distinguishing it, but I I, I just don't get it. I, I just don't get it. Maybe it's just me being an old man and telling me to get off my lawn, but I just don't understand from a marketing standpoint how this helps to grow the game and or uh, improve merchandise sales. Yeah, and it's clear that Major League Baseball wants to sell those jerseys. I think you're exactly right. If the Orioles want their jerseys sold, they want their colors. They want their colors to be in the stadium and in the streets and in in visiting cities. It's just a money grab, and it's not a good look for Major League Baseball, both in the aesthetics and in how it makes you feel. Yeah. Of course, the big ugly so far for the uh, Baltimore Orioles potpourri has to be waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's been a prevalent theme uh, through this podcast, but also on the majority of social media and um, on radio shows like where all the fans basically have said, um, this is not our year. It's not going to happen. It's time to start selling and it's time for um, a a new beginning. And uh, I'm not ready for it. And it's really tough to embrace that kind of thought process at this time. And I, I came in the season saying, you know, look, if they're not good, they're going to need to make a move to basically get themselves ready. Um, so they can be rebuilding in two to three years. But I, I look at this team and I remember how fun it was in previous seasons. And it's tough for me to say, you know what? I'm willing to risk it again of not seeing it for quite a amount of time. I want to embrace every single day and every single game. And I don't want to say, eh, I don't want to wait, watch any more baseball or eh, I'm ready for a Ravens football to start. I want to embrace as much of this team as possible um, this season or over these next few weeks in case this is the last time I get to see a really good team um, in some semblance for quite some time. And they, the fall has been so precipitous. I mean, they went from being a, a playoff caliber team to just being very bad. Yeah, I mean, they were the worst team basically in Major League Baseball for over six weeks. And that's hard to watch. It's especially jarring with what we've been treated to over the last several se- uh, seasons. And, and the thing is, is that it is really hard not to be negative or feel negatively because of the way the Orioles are playing right now. And and you, you want to, you know, keep the hope alive that, you know, maybe they can make the playoffs. Maybe they can have a 500 season. Maybe they can just have an interesting season. But then the next game happens. <laughs> and then the next game happens. And then the next game happens. You're like, come on, guys. Throw me a bone here. I, I want, I mean, just as Derek Arnold says, just let me love you. Right. I want to be rooting for this team. And, uh, and to be just waiting for that next terrible thing to happen that you have a pretty good, you know, idea that is going to happen. That's no fun. Yeah, but I still think the ugly comes back to that mentality that is held. Is I think Birdland, we need to get past this aspect of expecting the other shoe to drop. Whether it's oh, the Orioles are not going to do anything and they're going to squander their opportunity. Just embrace the finer and nice moments of um, Orioles baseball. 
We're going to go all the way back to season one of Bird's Eye View. We came to that season thinking this is going to be a terrible team. And we got all the way through the All-Star break and pretty much into August and said, well, they haven't screwed it up yet. Let's hope they don't screw it up yet. And I feel like we're in a very similar mentality right now um, with the Baltimore Orioles of saying, well, you know, they're not quite bad enough to be a team that we can't watch anymore, but they're also not a good enough team to like, I would say, watch this team, root for this team. Um, yes, they will be frustrating. Any single baseball team is frustrating, but there's enough talent here that you've seen from previous seasons that you should know that at any moment they could turn it around and turn back into a winning team and potentially be a playoff team. You heard it here first, folks. Scott Magnus calling this a playoff team. Hey, it's been ugly, but that's the good thing about the All-Star break. You take four days, you take a deep breath, you roll the dice in the second half, and you see what happens. That's the magic of Orioles baseball. Now it's time for a last word from our hosts. And that will do it for the fifth annual Bevy Awards. As always, we would like to end the show by thanking some of the people who make this crazy podcast of ours possible. First, we'd like to extend our thanks to the voice of the Bevies, Jovial Jay Shepard. You can hear more from Jovial Jay by listening to Jedi Journals, the longest-running Star Wars literature podcast in the galaxy, at forcecast.net or visiting randomchatter.com, where he is an integral part of the Random Chatter podcast network, including shows such as Green Justice, an Arrow podcast, Scarlet Velocity, a Flash podcast, and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. case files. We'd also like to thank the artists who provide the music on a regular basis for Birds Eye View. Our theme song is Watching the Orioles by Songs from the Moon. Interstitial music for regular episodes is No Robots by Black Dog Prowl and Mania by The Last Year. Thanks to the guys from OBP Apparel for our sweet logo and for years of friendship and collaboration. We say each week that we are proud members of the Baltimore Sports Court Network, and it's true. We really appreciate the guys over there at BSR, Zach Wilt, and Jeffy Burns, to whom we owe many thanks for friendship, inspiration, collaboration, and occasional consolidation, uh, and especially the beers that they give us on uh, multiple instances. Thanks to our wives, the Baseball Widows, for their support in this podcast project. And lastly, thanks to you, Bird's Eye View listeners. We are truly humbled and honored that you make us a small part of your Orioles fan experience. And with that, Baltimore and beyond, thanks for listening to the Bettys. Adieu, adieu. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there, and let's go O's. <laughs>